everyone. Welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu, and I'm your host. And today we're joined by a very special guest. Uh, he's the founder of Newman Intervention Services, Mr. Robert Newman. Robert, how's it going today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. It's awesome. It's a beautiful Monday morning uh, here on the West Coast, and uh, I'm it's just the perfect way to start the morning for me <laughs> as a podcaster to to get started. But uh, thank you so much for agreeing to be on here. I know, um, uh, you know, we were connected through, uh, I believe it was like a third party service just uh, as a recommendation for, for, for the podcast. And um, I'm really excited to hear your story today. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I'm, uh, I feel blessed to be here. I really do. Perfect. And uh, yeah, well, we're definitely looking forward to hear your story. But before we get into Instead of that, I do want to make a couple of uh, standard announcements here. Um, for those of you listening out there, you can find us on Instagram for any and all updates at The Potter's House. Um, we are available on multiple streaming services, most notably Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now, if you do have an iPhone, please go to that purple icon, the Apple Podcasts app. Scroll down and tap the stars, leave a written review. Uh, both of those really help the exposure of the show. And I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So for those of you who have already done it, thank you so much. For those of you who haven't, it's there waiting for you. So thank you guys. Thank you guys for that. Also, just last little thing here. As I've mentioned in the last several episodes, um, I am taking my my summer break starting uh, starting June of, of this year. So my last episode will be actually next week for, the, for those of you guys listening. Uh, Wednesday, May 26th, we'll be taking a break. As I said before, can't imagine myself taking a three-month break from podcasting. So we'll see what we do there. We'll I'll probably end up doing something, but it won't be the same regular week-to-week podcast releases, at least not until September. So thank you guys for all your support, for being behind me, for the encouraging words. I really appreciate it, and uh, may God bless you guys. So uh, thank you for that. Now, kind of going back into this episode, uh, uh, Mr. Newman over here. Um, before we we're gonna dive into your story about about the given topic, but before we do that, uh, for those of for those people out there who don't know you, would you be able to provide like a short little introduction on yourself? Sure. Um, I grew up in a very small town in southern Oklahoma, and when I say small town, a lot of people um, say small town. It's usually a few thousand people, and I talk mm-hmm. in small town, and it's a few hundred people, <laughs> six hundred fifty <laughs> people to be exact, and. Um, or 48, I think. But anyway, you know, I grew up in a small town and, uh, you know, and it, it, there wasn't a lot of drug use. There were a few people that were fooling around with drugs, but alcohol abuse was pr- very prevalent. And uh, it was, um, uh, you know, I got into drinking. And when I was, you know, I, I grew up in a, 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 very, a Christian home and went very involved in the church. And, you know, I just, I guess I got to where I was bored and I started wanting to do things that other people were doing that were older than me. And I started drinking. And then after telling my parents that I um, would never do drugs, I started messing around with marijuana. And then it got into when I went to college to play football, I got to, you know, I thought, well, marijuana wasn't that bad. So I got introduced to amphetamines. And it seemed to me that, well, every time that I would do well in life or, you know, try to do well, I, you know, I, I went to college for a while. The, um, you know, I got to where it just, uh, 
I, I would try to do well. I would try to accomplish things and I wanted to achieve things. And then, it, you know, substance abuse just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And by the time I was 35 years old, I was in a lot of trouble and I just could not find a way out. And thankfully my family had done, you know, my sister had done some research and found a program that helped me turn my life around. And I've been sober now for over 20 years. And it's my life has been truly a miracle. I consider myself fortunate enough to have lived two lives this this lifetime. And, um, and I'm doing, trying to make the best of it. <laughs> the second life. <laughs> that's awesome. So. And that's, uh, that's great to hear. And that's encouraging to hear. And I'm excited to hear, uh, just more of the details of that story. Uh, obviously the beginning, uh, certain things, because I know a lot of people out there who kind of mess around with certain things and they don't know the, or they don't expect the repercussions and the consequences, uh, later down the line. So, uh, cause just hearing that part and then also like the, just the deliverance eventually um, afterwards and seeing like what you're doing now is a, is, is a tremendous testimony and it's a great encouragement for, for everyone out there. So uh, I'm excited to, to hear that, but uh, let's take things from the very beginning. I know you mentioned that in high school, it's, it started with, it started with alcohol before you got into any uh, you know, hardcore drugs out there. Um, what, what would you say was like the segue or like, or like the, or like the first introduction to it? Because a lot of kids out there, they they typically don't see that as a as a red flag. They typically kind of get in into it. They're messing around with it. They're having fun. They think it's nothing. They think they don't have an addictive personality. And then 10, 20 years down the line, they they really regret it. So, what, what what's the starting point? What's the very beginning? Well, you know, we're so inundated and bombarded with traps i say spiritual traps out there i mean everywhere you turn around you've got something it would in movies or tv or advertisements or you can't even drive down the street and you see a you know a convenience store they've got all their sales for beer and that, you know it's just everywhere and um and you know and you get to the idea that you know well you know my i was always told if you do drugs you're gonna die and when i was a kid early in the early 70s uh, late sixties, early seventies, LSD was a big deal. And there was, uh, going around and, uh, there were some kids that got involved with LSD and they were doing some really crazy things. And some of them, I think, uh, did some permanent brain damage. And, and, you know, my, my parents related that to, to well, if you do drugs, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to end up like those kids. And it was very obvious that there was something wrong with those kids. Well, so, but alcohol, you know, my parents, my dad drank beer and, you know, other, I would see them, other people drinking beer and alcohol. So I, in my mind, I'm like, okay. So I didn't, couldn't really tell the difference. And then, so then as I got older, I, I saw people smoking marijuana and they seemed to be laughing and giggling and having a good time. And then alcohol, you would drink alcohol. And that was seemed to be quote unquote, socially acceptable drinking alcohol. And, um, but uh, you know, so then with, with the marijuana, I thought, well, that doesn't seem to be all that scary and they don't seem to be doing, you know, they seem to be having a good time and alcohol doesn't leave, or marijuana doesn't leave you as much of a hangover as alcohol does. And it's not as dangerous. It doesn't make you drink and drive and, um, you know, and it doesn't seem to be as bad. So I started smoking marijuana and then I realized that I thought, well, uh, to me, it was like those bad things that I saw happen to those kids that my parents told me were going to happen didn't happen, you know. And I mm -hmm. and I was all I saw my friends doing and in myself included was laughing and giggling and oh that was fun. So what? So to me, 
it didn't seem dangerous at all. I kind of felt like I'd been lied to. So then when it came time for other drugs, I thought, oh, okay, well, since this wasn't that bad, you know, I got introduced to amphetamines. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And when I, the first time I tried amphetamines, I was, it was like, oh my gosh, where has this stuff been? You know, and you've got, and, and you know, in today's society, now you've got the legalization of, you know, quote, I call it medical marijuana, which is just basically, it's just a segue right into legalizing marijuana. And then people will say, oh, we're not legalizing it. We're decriminalizing it. I said, okay, so it's not illegal. Okay, well, that means if it's not illegal, that means it's legal. Yeah. <laughs> you get this argument. It's like, and, and, and I, so it, anyway, um, it, you just get a false idea that drugs aren't as dangerous as you were led to believe. And then you justify your behavior by, uh, well, my parents, you know, it kind of felt like I'd been lied to. Well, they were trying to do the best they can to keep you from doing something that might not be good for you, which, you know, you know, uh, you can't really blame them for that, but, um, you know, and you have to take responsibility for your own decisions, but kids make bad. And, and I would say that the biggest reason for me uh, at the time for even trying it was out of boredom. And most kids, believe it or not now, I mean, obviously there's social issues and there's family issues and, you know, and there's um, other things, but um, that go on, but the per survey in my experience uh, and having, you know, been in front of hundreds of thousands of kids, uh, boredom is the biggest reason, you know, if you've got these kids that, you, you know, I'll give I'll kind of extrapolate on that a little bit. Uh, I, I go to a, a fitness gym and there's some high school kids down there that are trying to learn how to pole vault. This one particular gym has the guy that started the gym was a Olympic pole vaulter. <laughs> so there's kids that are coming from several hours away that, uh, are interested in pole vaulting. Now I, I didn't realize it was a thing, you know, I'm just, for me, it's, you know, weightlifting or football or basketball or baseball or, you know, but these guys are interested in pole vaulting. And you see a kid that's interested in something. They're not, they're not going to let something, you know, interfere with what they're interested in. Yeah. You know, they're not going to be, have time to sit around and go, Oh, I want to get high. Or I'm going to do, cause these kids are going a lot of, to a lot of effort to learn how to do that specific thing. And uh, the likelihood that those, that particular group of kids is going to become, have a substance abuse problem. Now it doesn't mean it can't happen. I'm just saying the chances of it happening are a lot less because they have a goal and they're focused on something. Uh, and that was, you know, I, I kind of, when I started my, my substance abuse started ramping up was in, towards the end of my junior or my senior year in high school. We played, we were really good in football and basketball, really loved doing that. I was just, uh, that's really what I liked. And then of course, towards the end of that basketball season, I uh, started, you know, having a little bit more time on my hands. Didn't really know what I was going to do in life and wasn't sure if I was going to college or not. And started, started smoking weed and then from there. Anyway, yeah, and uh, just talking about marijuana really quick because I, I I've heard a lot of arguments in in some social circles in the press in from the media that um, a lot of young people today are, are kind of vouching for it because they say uh, um, exactly what you were just describing earlier that marijuana is not harmful it's not addict they call claim it not to be addictive and they say it's it's the kind of like the alternative to, to doing any of anything else that is hardcore. So, um, I mean, from your experience, would you refute that statement that it's not uh, that it's not addictive and it's not 
necessarily leading you to other things because um, I guess some people claim to be out there to only smoke marijuana and that's it. They're able to control themselves and that's all they do. And obviously you have a lot of uh, people nowadays kind of uh, kind of supporting like the, the medicinal marijuana use as well. So they're trying to kind of, like you were saying, decriminalize it for the sake of the people who are in chronic pain, who, who need it for, for their health. Uh, what would you say from your personal experience uh, about those, about those uh, kind of standings of those different people? Well, I would just say that uh, there, there's a little bit of truth sewn into the, you know, a lot of these statements that are made, which makes it believable for most folks. I mean, the truth is that there are some medicinal benefits to the marijuana plant. The cannabinoids in the marijuana plant are beneficial and they can help with, um, you know, particularly, you know, kids that have seizures and things like that. There's, there's some medicinal benefits to the marijuana plant. I will, I will, I could say that, um, but anything containing t- the THC portion, which is toxic and a psychoactive, psychoactive meaning having to do with the brain, right? And then active meaning actively p- producing an effect on the brain, which is what THC is psychoactive, meaning that. So it's going to have an effect on the brain. And now your brain is not meant to survive on chemicals. THC is a chemical. Right. And so, um, you know, your your body survives off of vitamins and nutrients. That's what your body survives off of. So if you're going to have and so, I mean, there's so many things that I could say about it, you know, and and what the one thing. But it's really hard to uh, talk to someone who is actively smoking marijuana as and and try to tell them that it's doing something bad to them so i don't even take up the argument to be honest with you because i i try to give them the information both based off somebody who used to smoke marijuana by the bales you know what it you know there are some statistics that you can give people as far as marijuana not being addictive i get calls all the time for people that are addicted to marijuana right and if you look and you just look at go to your department of health wherever you live the state treatment admissions statistics and at one point i don't know what they are currently uh but a few not just a few short years ago it was over 60 percent of the people that were in treatment were in there for marijuana addiction (laughs) so so i'm like somebody forgot to tell those people that it wasn't addictive yeah so you know just look at the stats so I'm not saying just because you smoke marijuana, you're going to go on to harder drugs because that's not true. I can tell you from statistical standpoint that about 20 to 25% of the people that continually use marijuana will move on to other, will become addicted to it and will move on to other drugs. So, you know, and that's, and I don't know who that 20, uh, you know, one out of four or whatever, I don't know who that's going to be, but with today's marijuana being so much more powerful, when I smoked it, it was probably 3% THC, right? Which was mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Some, there, was a, there was a couple of times that I smoked it that it really knocked me out. And, and uh, you know, it was like to- over the top, you know, potency, I guess. I, I'm not sure, but it was, you know, was two times in my life. And with, with today, the potency that they have today in today's marijuana, it's like, I just, 
even what they're buying out of these dispensaries is like 35 to 40 percent maybe i you know again this is what i'm being told i don't know the actual but it's uh, 30 i mean 35 percent thc that's just wow. 10 times more potent and then they're also extracting they've got this stuff they call shatter or they, they pull out the oil out of the uh marijuana plant and it's pure thc and it basically looks like a paste and I've actually done an intervention on a kid that had, was 15 years old. That had, and that stuff is like 95 to 97, if not 100% THC. So, and I've seen more and more people in today's, in the last three years, kids, early 20s, that are truly psychotic. I mean, like one kid was in LA, we were doing an intervention on him and he ran out in traffic, 60 miles an hour, had the car not slammed on its brakes. I mean, it was like he was on PCP or something. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that he was tested positive for was marijuana. Now, I can't tell you whether there was some, you know, there could have been something that was sprayed on the plant or it could have been something that, you know, some synthetics that he was doing. But this stuff is so, and, and, but there was a DEA agent who's a friend of mine who did a, out in California did a study on it, on marijuana. And he broke down the medicinal benefits and he looked at studies from doctors and talked about, okay, this is how it could be good. And this is how it could be bad, just from a really objective viewpoint. And there was professionals at that time, this was probably 10 years ago. He said, if this keeps continuing, you're going to see people that are going to be having to admit it into psychiatric wards because of just smoking marijuana so you know I, I would just caution people you know i'm not going to argue with people about it i'm just not because um you know if you're gonna they're gonna smoke marijuana they have to see for themselves but i i can tell you that you should make an informed decision about what you're doing right because thc is toxic and my one argument that i seems to resonate with people is that if you're smoking anything you're not doing it for the medicinal benefits. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing it to get high. <laughs> so, so that's all. So that's the only thing I can say. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it, we have to realize that um, we as people are, are very adaptive. That's why we survive in different climates. That's why we, we outlive, you know, not to, you know, knocking on wood here we outlive certain viruses or, or pandemics and all that because just because our bodies are are adaptive both flesh and mind and i think that once people get so hooked on one thing that it it, it doesn't after a certain period of time it doesn't have that same effect and this goes for all types of addictions not just substance it could be um porn pornography it could be anything they get yeah. so adapted adapted to it that it becomes numb to them where it doesn't have that certain effect so they're looking for kind of that that next high so i think i think that's what people don't realize they think they could be in, in this case with with, uh, with weed with marijuana they think that it's uh it'll satisfy them for the rest of their lives but that's not true uh, they'll get to a point where they just adapt to it to that 3% and now they're going to want a 35% and i mean god forbid you know they're going to be craving their bodies can be craving that 95 percent because it just it does not satisfy them nothing in this world will satisfy us we know that from from scriptures we know that from just living in this world so i i think that's that that's the biggest thing to kind of take home to understand that yeah i mean is it a segue like you're saying no not necessarily but our bodies just get addicted to it and then we just need that next that next thing to kind of to kind of give us that that same effect that we're used to so so uh that's that but um 
yeah, so so thank you for that. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the um, the, the point of your life where you got to, when you got to your low point, that that kind of breaking point. Um, all these different things led up to this point, and then eventually we have the deliverance. But uh, can you talk a little bit about that point in your life, uh, just where everything just kind of came piling down, and the moment you knew that rock bottom moment, you knew that you just had to turn things around. Well, that, you know, that's a, um, now I'll, I'll give you, hopefully give you a short answer. I'm, I'm very good at giving long answers, but, uh, <laughs> long answers are good <laughs> <laughs> when I was, uh, well, I, I want to go back a little bit and touch on what you just said about to finish up on our previous conversation. Sure. God built our bodies it's a magnificent machine and there there's actually certain ways that it functions. Right. And it, it, there's a reason why that people, when you, you know um, you know, when you, if you like, let's say if you smoke marijuana and it makes you feel you're, you're sitting there and you're a little bit bored, you're not feeling that good. You smoke some weed makes you feel good. Well, there's mm-hmm. going to be for every high, there's going to be the exact opposite low simply because the chemicals in the brain, which I call God's natural reward system, the dopamine, the serotonin, the endorphins that are released when you do that drug or that toxin, it releases those chemicals into the brain, which is God put there to, for to, it's because it's pro survival. When you exercise, you eat a good meal, you have sex, it's pro survival to continue to do those things. That's why that reward system is, is in place. It makes you feel good. So you'll continue to do that. When you go to church and you feel really good about, you know, the sermon and you, the fellowship and your spiritual awakening, those type of things are there. So you will continue to do those things. Well, it's basically Satan, in my opinion, this is me and Satan introducing you a false hope or feeling that will then drain those natural reward chemicals that you have and it will prevent the body from producing more because it burns up the nutrients that you need to produce more so that that there's a biological reason why you come down a biological reason why the person is hung over the next day because they just and marijuana is more subtle so each time you go you know you can't you, you keep chasing that high the first time you did it you felt really good well, when you come back, you start at a lower point. You don't go as high as you did before. So each time it's like a stair step down and you have to do more. And also you're ingesting these toxins in your body, which stay there for a longer than we think. And they don't just wash out of your body in a few days. They don't. They stay there for, you know, toxins absorb into the tissue, into the body. They stay there and cause you to feel numb, which causes you to have to do more to feel the same effect. So it all, there's biological and biophysical reasons why that the person has to do more drugs to feel the same thing. But so I wanted to just give you that little bit of education. Yeah, that's that. good. Yeah. So, so, and then we go back to where me in 1993, I was, I had four, four attorneys for four different issues in two different States and all of them were substance abuse related alcohol or drugs or whatever. And I would have told you in 1993 that I did not have a substance abuse problem simply because I could uh, uh, stay off drugs long enough to pass a drug test if I had one through my, you know, I had to go through probation or something, or I had my work. I was working. I had two homes at one time. I had property. I had land. Uh, you know, I was going to build a house. Um, but I would, I could stay off drugs long enough to pass a drug test. And so I would have told you, oh, I don't have a problem with it. I can stop anytime. 
<laughs> yeah, I was like, I couldn't. It was. It's just weird. And uh, but then I, I when I when to the year two thousand, and I I got I was driving onto an army base. I was running a crew of people, and I was driving onto an army base with uh, methamphetamine in my pocket. I got pulled over by the MPs, and I got in trouble, federal uh, trouble. Um, and I got put on probation. I was smart enough to negotiate my own plea deal with the magistrate without an attorney, but I was dumb enough. To, I, I just so, was so addicted at that point that I couldn't pass the probation period where, you know, I, I had to do weekly check-ins for drug tests. I had to, you know, check into and report into jail a couple, you know, uh, for a certain number of days. And I didn't do that. I, I, I failed some drug tests. And that was when I, I just kept, you know, getting to a point where I've now painted myself into a corner and it's either go to jail or get help. And, you know, and it, that goes back to the three things that is needed to convince somebody once they've crossed the line into addiction. There's three things. One is they really want to change their life. They hate their life. They want to change it. They don't know how. Uh, that was me. I didn't have any idea how. I didn't have any hope that there was anything hope out help out there Two, uh, my family, you know, your the threat of a loss of your family, your family's like ready to have be done with you. Or the third thing is what we call environmental pressure. Those things in the environment that are going to force you to make a change like, you know, homelessness or, or loss of your kids or, you know, or, you know, some, well, the second thing that kind of falls into the, I'm going to, some people are going to lose their kids. So they're going to stop using drugs. Right. Or there are, I'm going to, are their wife's going to leave them. I'm going to stop going to the bar every night and my wife's going to leave me. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes for me, even I, it took all three of those things to, for me to change. That's how much pressure it took. And so it's not a matter of just, Oh, he needs to stop doing it. It, 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 it really has, you really have to, once a person gets into that, that deep, they, it's a pretty involved effort. I hope that answers your question, but uh, that's when I knew. I thought I, it was, there was a defining moment. I got out of jail. This was in 2000. I got out of jail. My family met me at the jail, my dad, my sister, and they said, you know, we want you to go to rehab. We have a program picked out. We think you'll like it. It's more of a physical program. It's, you know, it's, it, we think it's going to cover everything that, you know, you need. And also it's going to keep you there long enough to, get past your probation. I said, okay, um, that makes sense. And I, but I, I said, I still, I can do it on my own. I have all the standard, I had all the standard standard answers that I give them that I hear all the time now. And I'm like, oh, I used to say that too. <laughs> <laughs> and then about 10 days later, I, I, after an OD and a car wreck and uh, lost my job. And then I came crawling back to my dad's house and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to take you up on that offer. But I was very, very fortunate to have that opportunity because I'm lucky. I got arrested during that time, and luckily they didn't catch me with the drugs that were on me. I had an OD. Luckily they didn't catch, and I wrecked a car. They didn't catch me during the car wreck. In other words, I was out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody saw it. I was able to call some friends to come get me and get my car out of the ditch before the highway patrol showed up. I mean, it's just so lucky. And then, uh, then I finally went over to my dad's house and I, you know, I got a drug test the next day. And I'm going to fail it. And he goes, Bobby, he said, they told you, the guy told you, you're going to go to prison for seven years. I said, I know. So we luckily got able to take the drug test and I checked myself into rehab on a Saturday night. And uh, they, uh, they, 
I was able to stay in rehab. So that was, anyway, <laughs> that's how lucky I, it was before, you know, I was able to had that opportunity. So, and, um, so once we got to, once we get to that point, um, obviously there was uh when you're when you're in rehab and those three points that you were mentioning earlier there is like that physical component where you realize that you have to change your life and even then you thought you can do it by your own strength and uh yeah. that short period of time just resulted in a lot of different uh bad things where where you consider yourself lucky to have escaped and yes. uh you were able to get into rehab but um what what was the if there was one, if you can describe one, the the spiritual turning point, because I personally believe that certain addictions, I, I mean, I think I think all addictions come on the there's a, there's a spiritual aspect to it. Obviously, there's a physical component with chemicals with 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 the brain, but I do believe that addiction is also a, a, a spiritual thing as well. Um, where did you see, if you could pinpoint in in, in that timeline, uh, kind of like the 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 spiritual uh, turn, the spiritual change? Um, from that point of view, if that makes sense. Um, yes, and you are 100% correct. There is, I mean, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. There is a very definite spiritual aspect to it. And, um, you know, I remember coming to a point I had, you know, I went to a totally holistic program, nutrition and body, you know, clean the cleanse the body. And then I got to a point that when I completed that part, I was then going in and I felt so guilty about the things that I had done. I mean, you know, from a, a, a from a criminal viewpoint, these are the things that people do that would might be braggadocious and you might be, you know, arrogant. And, you know, I, and I came out on the other side and I started looking at these things and I felt like the worst person ever. I felt terrible. And, uh, you know, guilt is a major factor in these driving addictions. You get so numb from the drugs that you don't feel the guilt and the things that you do that you know that are not right. And you do things that you normally would never do. And, uh, and so I had the opportunity to relieve myself of that guilt and not uh, but at the same time take responsibility for my actions it's not a, a pass on oh well i'm going to ask for forgiveness now you have to take responsibility and you have to actually okay but it doesn't mean taking responsibility is not a blame game it's like oh i did this this is a a relief it's kind of like that relief well it's it is the relief that you feel from of uh, being able to be cause or in control of your life again and, and i can remember being, having that opportunity and and it was like the uh, this weight had been lifted off of me and the skies opened up and i knew it was like you know the guy the big guy is looking down on me and he says it's going to be okay <laughs> and, uh, so that he you know it was like kind of you got some work to do now but at least you're going to be okay you know because if you at, in that moment i realized yes what i had done was terrible but yes, there was a way out and I could, I could start my life again. I remember the exact day. I know exactly where I was standing. I know exactly what, you know, <laughs> the position of the sun. And I knew at that point that I was never going back to that life. So that's awesome. That's, that's, that's great to hear. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we could get to hear that part of the story that the, the deliverance factor and, um, obviously, there were a lot of steps in the right direction from that point. And uh -huh. it eventually led you to uh, starting up this organization, uh, Newman Intervention Services. Um, 
if you can, if you can highlight kind of like the the steps leading up to you starting uh, this organization. Um, obviously, the intention behind it uh, is quite clear. Uh, using your personal testimony to kind of help people um, who are addicted to substances. Uh, but uh, can you highlight like the, the the steps leading up to the the start of that organization, and then and then uh, just going forward, uh, all the things that have kind of come together since then. Yes, I I actually had when I was in the program, uh, there was a guy that showed up that would do drug education and to kids, and he had done like over a million kids in the last since like the late seventies, and he came out and did a presentation to our. Uh, uh, you know, to our group. And uh, it was really cool. And I thought, you know, I want to do that because I had my son at the time was eight years old. He's 29. Now I have two, but one's 10, one's 29. But uh, he was um, eight, eight years old at the time. And I thought, you know, I want to go out because the things that they were teaching was not taught in drug education. You know, most of the programs out there are dare and they tell you about what this is and what that is, but they don't tell you how people become addicted to drugs. And that's what I felt was important is how do you become addicted? And, um, and so I, I said, I'm going to do that. And I had zero communication or public speaking skills. I had no idea how I was going to do it. I was a construction worker, <laughs> a sheet metal worker. And, I, and, and so I, I, but I said, I'm going to do it. I made a decision. I'm going to go out and I'm going to teach kids. And that's what I learned to do. And uh, it went from there. I started doing drug education. Then I got into working with people. From there, I had people reaching in for, to get into treatment. So I started working in the admissions department into treatment programs. And from there, I, I had the opportunity to go out to Hawaii and start a program out there. I mean, just things happened to me that have just been miraculous. I mean, I just opportunities and it, it comes, it derives from having a purpose. Uh, a lot of people get addicted to drugs or, you know, kids are bored and they, they don't have a purpose in life. What's your purpose? What are you going to do with your life? What's your goal? What are you going to have in life? And those type of things. And, and uh, so once I de defined a purpose in my life, and I'm going to go out and educate as many kids as I can, I then had other opportunities that led into that. I went into working with treatment uh, admissions, which led me to working with interventionists. And then when I went to Hawaii to set up a drug education program out there, um, they, there was treatment centers on the mainland that actually needed me to do interventions from Hawaii. So I started doing interventions because I had the experience of working with other interventionists and getting no, having some of their knowledge. Then I started doing interventions in Hawaii back to the mainland. And then I just, it just kind of went from there, you know, and, and I happened to have a knack for it, uh, being able to look at, observe the things that are needed in the sequence of events that are needed, that are going to make this the most likely to be successful. Um, and being able to get people to stick in there for the long haul and get their loved one into treatment. So that's kind of the way it went. I just started with prevention and then I got into working in a treatment center and then I got into interventions where I'm at now. So perfect. And, uh, kind of over these last few years of, 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 uh, you running this organization, are there any, uh, and obviously it can be like very like short little highlights of certain, people kind of getting getting off of drugs or, or anything that that might be kind of interesting and appealing to the listener to kind of see um, how how something like this is truly effective to the person who is on these substances. Are there any highlights that you'd like to mention just anything short and quick? 
Well, you know, an intervention is going to happen. You know, people, my mantra is it's never too soon to do an intervention. When you see something that's non-optimum in a person's behavior, I mean, I, I my 29-year-old son lives in Miami now, sells life insurance. He's doing fabulous. He just got married. He's doing great. Uh, you know, he's happy. We did an intervention on him when he was 14 years old because he was making some bad decisions and I knew how it was going to end up. I had no evidence of him using drugs at all. I just knew his behavior was leading him down the wrong road. And we, you know, his parents were his, well, I'd say his parents, I'm his parent, but his mother and her side of the family was trying to help him. Uh, they were in the teaching, you know, um, and, and, and so they finally said, you know what, we're not, what we're doing is not working. So what do you got? And so they came to me and we put together, we worked together as a family and we got the kids some help. And uh, so I, uh, I think I got, basically, again, it's never too soon to intervene on somebody and an intervention happens. And most of the time it's ones that we have no control over it. Have, we don't have any control over the DUIs or the, you know, other things that are, overdoses and the legal problems, those are all interventions that are trying to stop the destructive behavior. We, we have no control over those. Let's do an intervention that we have control over, you know, where we can stop it. And if, if you don't stop someone, well, I don't know how bad he is. Well, if he's, you know, starting to go bad, why do we want to wait till he gets real bad? before we actually do something let's stop it now let's let's correct the action now and getting back on track to where we don't have to go down that path and people start contributing to that by well i'm going to buy him a car i'm going to pay his fine or i'm going to do you don't do any of those things if he wrecks his car he wrecks his car and he needs to fix his car (laughs) if he gets thrown in jail he needs to figure out how to get himself out of jail (laughs) <laughs> all those things you don't you don't pay you help somebody that's doing well you don't help somebody who's doing bad you know and it's it, it kind of it so anyway i could go on and on about this but um i i really encourage people to you know if you don't stop the, the behavior sooner than later it's only going to get worse and it's going to be much harder to deal with at a later date than it is now you know Perfect. go ahead Oh no no go ahead uh, go ahead because I was I was going to ask my final question but uh, if you want to finish that thought go ahead. <laughs> so well it's like, um, and it, well anyway I, there's there's so much and I find it hard for people to to confront people they feel bad well what if he ends up on the street well the only reason and that's a good question but at the same time the only reason he's able to continue doing what he's doing is because you're contributing to it. You know, it's really hard. And people will say, I feel so bad if something were to happen to him. So you're admitting to me that what you're doing by continuing to support his drug habit is not doing him any good, but only doing it for your own feelings, which I'm trying to highlight in a very caring way that what's best for your son or your daughter, you know, what's going to most likely stop this. And, um, you know, anyway, I, it, it, it's it's really hard for me to get people to to confront that. And, you know, I, I get to where, but it can be done. And, and intervention works 85 to 90% of the time when done right. So you're statistically proven to be more, much more chance of saving their life by doing an intervention than, um, than just sitting back and watching and doing nothing. Absolutely. And, and I think this is a perfect segue to, to, to my final question over here. Um, just if people are out there listening, uh, 
whether or not they they themselves are struggling with with this issue or they have a a loved one, a friend, a family member who who's going through something like this. Um, from from your experience and your expertise in in, in this field, uh, what, what's what's one piece of advice that you can give that person out there who who may be going through a situation like that? Reach out to somebody, you know, and if you uh, reach out and continuing reaching out until you find that one person that you feel can help you, right? I mean, you, I, my problem is, is that. Well, when I was a kid uh, or younger, I, uh, you know, went to three or four different pe- professionals and I just didn't have any confidence, you know, and, and, and you, but just keep going. And, you know, the only time you fail is when you stop trying and, and find that one person that you feel comfortable with and that you feel like can help you. And then and then and, 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 and just and even life sometimes can seem very confusing and overwhelming. Try do one thing. Do one thing that's positive going to put you in moving in the right direction. And once you do that, you do one more thing. And then you do one. It's like keep putting one foot in front of the other until you walk your path out and keep going. And uh, and don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't do something. I, I was 20 years ago. I would have never dreamed that I would have been able to do the things that I'm doing. And uh, I, if I can do it, <laughs> anybody can do it. So anyway. Yeah, that's and awesome they to hear. Call. They, they can give me a call. I, I can refer them to people that can help them. We have a, a life coaching, sober coaching program that we're starting. I have a lot of free information that I give people. And I spend a lot of time with people, you know, at no cost. So it doesn't, no, no, doesn't cost to dial my number. <laughs> so Perfect. Now I was actually going to mention that as well. Um, but, uh, but, but Robert, thank you so much for, for agreeing, uh, to be on this episode, uh, I'm I'm excited for for the listeners out there just to hear this story. Whether or not they're going through the same situation, uh, regardless, it is an encouraging story of how God works in one's life to to really make a difference later on in life to, to a lot of different people out there. So, uh, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me very much. Absolutely, and uh, kind of what I was saying, um, if people want to reach out to you. Um, May it be, I don't know, a social media or via email or or maybe you have a website. Uh, where can they find you on the Internet if maybe they want to just check you out, check out the program or um, if they do have a certain issue, if they are in that certain situation, uh, where can they do that? My website is NewmanInterventions.com and that's N-E-W-M-A-N-I-N-T-E-R-V-E-N-T. I-O-N-S.com, NewmanInterventions.com. And um, you can find me on the web, Newman Intervention Services. Uh, there's a lot of Newmans out there, so uh, you, you might want to just go straight to my website. My phone number is 866-989-4499. So I have, I'm on social media. I'm on uh, YouTube. I'm on uh yeah, obviously the internet. So any of those ways you can reach me and we'll be glad to help you. I have people that answer my phone that I've been working with for over 20 years and we will find you some help or give you some guidance of some sort. We'll have a lot of free information I give people. So uh, definitely see what we can do to help you. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for kind of just extending a reach out there to, to people across all the entire United States. 
uh, for for the help because uh, I mean it's, it's it's truly a blessing to see how how um, everything's playing out um, going forward. But thank you. La- lastly, thank you, Robert, for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, for the listeners out there, just as, as a little wrap up, uh, we do have a couple of announcements. Same things we mentioned earlier. Instagram is at the Potter's House for any and all updates. Uh, streaming services, most notably Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you do have the Apple Podcasts app, please tap the stars, leave a review. It really helps the exposure of the show. Lastly, uh, for those of you listening this week, next week, which will be, or the next released episode, which will be Wednesday, May 26th, will be the last of this kind of second season here, taking a summer break. There'll be something going on in the summer, just not regular weekly releases, but uh, stay tuned for more updates. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.